Hello and welcome back to the Wide World of Wargaming Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Gonzalez, and I have the whole gang back with us today. We do have uh, John, Garrett, and Jeremy, and today we have a lot on our plate. We are going to talk, of course, about the FAQs, erratas, and lack of FAQs between KO and or the Caradon Overlords, rather, and Disciples of Zinch. We are also going to take a peek at the uh, the Burning Sigil of Zinch, which is an endless spell for Disciples of Zinch, which just came uh, out a couple of, or about four weeks ago. But as always, we do need to start from the top here. And in order to do so, we got to talk to John. And in order to, uh, and what we're going to talk about with John, well, we're going to talk about his workbench. John, what is on your workbench? Hey, Alex, Jeremy, Garrett, how the hell are you guys doing today? My workbench this week, well, you know, uh, recovering from the LVO, as everybody knows, I myself uh, finally succumbed to the con crud and was actually out from work uh, most of the week, only actually returned to work yesterday. Uh, So didn't do a lot except, excuse me, lay around the house, uh, get some rest, drink lots of NyQuil, and... um, I did watch Lost in Space, so I'm caught up on that. That was actually pretty tasty. But I did a little bit of modeling. Uh, So when I was at the LVO this year, I stopped by the uh, Games Workshop booth, and I didn't go too crazy, but picked up a few things. Amongst them, I picked up the uh, Sisters of Battle Hospitaler unit. And this is one of these, uh, much like Catacros, one of these little diorama units where there's uh, multiple figures on a larger base, and I'm hoping that GW does more and more of this type of stuff, where they they just kind of have little scenes that we can play with. I'm again not really going to play with these, but just as a hobby project, I think that's uh, potentially a lot of fun. Beyond that, uh, of course, now that I'm feeling better, now I haven't had a chance to get down the store because I'm going to get myself a nice bottle of uh, that Japanese whiskey that uh, Jeremy turned me on to in Vegas. So this week, I'm just sipping on a little bit of the old single malt whiskey from St. George Distillery, a uh, nice distilled uh, barley mash whiskey. And so that'll be accompanying me for the evening. And beyond that, uh, down at the Game Castle Mountain View, the Silicon Valley Warhammer Group, uh, typically led by Sonny Wynn, our local hero. Uh, anyways, we are starting up a new league. And uh, so I myself am deciding what I want to play in this league. I've been kind of backing off from Skaven for a while. So just uh, while I was out sick in the last couple of days, I've started rebuilding Skaven lists with the new point levels. And, uh, you know, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. It looks like I can still get about 120 clan rats, 80 monks, uh, a bell, a furnace, and a vermin lord in there uh, with a little bit of room for some endless spells. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with that, see what I can do. Uh, but then... But then my Nurgle army just keeps calling to me, man. And so, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to run Nurgle in this league. Uh, whichever, Whatever I end up running in this league is probably what I'm going to end up taking up to the Rose City Wrath. So it's a little bit of a, a critical decision with me. I haven't quite decided, but by next week, uh, I will know exactly what we're running and uh, probably start building some new stuff for it. So uh, that is pretty much what's been on my workbench this week. Garrett, tell us about your workbench. We haven't heard from you from last week. Uh, what's going on, buddy? Well, I've been fairly consumed with raising this adorable little puppy who you might hear in the background right now. Now, um, now what was the term you used for him a minute ago? It wasn't adorable little puppy. It was uh, you crazy little land shark. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, he has, uh, since we got him within the first week or two, he has destroyed two of my $70 laptop chargers. Nice. Um, through his fantastic chewing uh, with his little dagger teeth. So, but ever since then, I think we've kept him under control. Just keep shoving bones in his face. Um, but uh, yeah, basically I came back from LVO um, and the week I left for LVO was literally just about the week I got the puppy. And so uh, I have basically been spending time earning wife points, taking care of the puppy since she had to take care of him for the first like five days I was gone. Uh, and then before that I was actually sick. So she's basically been taking care of him full time since we got him. So I've been kind of uh, picking up, and making up for the first two weeks, uh, he's actually 11 weeks old as of today. Um, so we're getting up there. He's definitely gotten bigger and exciting. But um, yeah, that's basically it on my front. Uh, just, I've just barely recovered from LVO myself. Um, and I've just been diving into work and thinking about I'm kind of in with you, John. I'm kind of like thinking about what I want to do next. I still have my Sylvaneth that I haven't overplayed yet. Um, I think I'm going to just keep practicing with them a bit. Um, although speaking of Nurgle, uh, sometime you should check out the new release that's coming out this weekend that went on pre-order. There's definitely some really cool stuff in Nurgle there for you. So, oh, really? Yeah, okay. the like, Wrath of the Everchosen or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that coming out. Man, That you know, being into chaos anyways, I was a given. I was going to pick that up. Yeah, so there's some really cool Nurgle stuff in there for you to check out. But um yeah, so that's that's basically been my life for the last two weeks or so. Um, well, uh, Jeremy, I uh, haven't seen you in a hot minute. What are you doing these days? Uh, well, these days uh, I am – let me just uh, crack this open real quick because uh, I haven't had one of these in a while. Um, it's a Guinness for the audience, but the for the most part, dramatic and pause for dramatic effect. Is that wait, wait, no, no. You, you, hold, on, hold on. You need to do the John special. You need to take a swig and, you know, we got to hear all of it. And then, yeah. Ah. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but the, <laughs> the um, when I'm, I, I'm in, I'm, I found myself in the same kind of situation as both of you. Uh, I, I went deep in on KO knowing that the book wasn't good. Like, I mean, I, I bought the army after the book came out. Uh, but uh, I was like, you know, they're going to, you know, I'm eternal optimistic. I want to play a dwarf in an army this year, so I was hoping for a fact change. Uh, we'll talk about it later. Didn't happen. So now I'm waiting for G General Henderson book two, uh, 2020 to fix some of them, but who knows? So this weekend, uh, since I'm going to a GT with my co-host here, Alex, and some of our teammates, uh, I'm taking uh, Osark Bone Ugh. Reapers. I spent the last uh, 40 plus, well, I think in total only like 12 hours painting 60 Mortex, three Immortus Guard, uh, the terrain feature and uh, Catacross. All I got left is to paint um, uh, basically the Harvester and the Catapult, and then I'm basic. I'm ready for the event. Uh, I just need to get them based and uh, everything. And I'm sure Alex is just you know reaming of the fact I'm playing a, his new favorite hot army. But like honestly, like I just don't. I didn't want to play Fire Slayers because uh, it's all I've been playing for basically a year and. Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull the Jeremy special and paint an entire army in less than a week. Other than that, I've been uh, enjoying my Team America dice that I purchased for Europe. I, I So I should caveat, they're not associated with the team at all. I just bought some really nice metal dice from a company called Gravity Dice with blue, white, red. 
And I know some people will probably realize, wait, Jeremy, that's also the French colors. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not playing for France. Uh, the and it's just a few, really a few countries that. share those colors. Yeah, wait, so are it's you okay. playing for the yeah, Russian okay. team? You know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> America and um I can't wait to roll those in the year well for the year but like they're and I just I don't it's they're probably the nicest dice I've ever bought in my life uh and I showed them off to John and John has some really good opinions about it because it's kind of his professional you know uh realm uh but I I just want to say that the parade is going John uh hit it with that water Oh, you know, I, I was, I was just going to mellow out on that, Jeremy. And uh, let's just say that I am going to get my own gravity dice. So rather than opening my mouth and, you know, putting my foot in it, I'm going to get some myself and uh, they're going to take a little visit to my lab. Because when you showed me those pictures of the gravity dice and you, you exclaimed to their precision, etc., my eyes could see some uh, imperfections whoa, whoa, in whoa. what I was seeing just in the photograph. So it, maybe it was an optical illusion. I'm sure there's nothing there, but I think I need to get a set for myself and, and prove how uh, balanced these dice really are. And so. at no point did the company gravity dice say they were balanced. I said they were, I feels balanced. I just don't want, I don't want the entire audience or cease and desist letter, like for defamation coming our way. I think they're balanced and John will tell me otherwise. Hey, John, uh, next you're going to do chess X dice, right? Cause those are perfectly balanced dice. Oh, God. Uh, no. I just, you know, I, I, should, yeah. I should. I should do a. I should do a study and scan like four or five different. You know, like maybe fifteen samples. So three groups of five. Ideally, five groups of five. We'll do three groups of five of maybe four or five brands of dice and just uh, you know digitally map them out and see what's going on. So, uh, I, uh, oof, man, I, I don't know. That's a lot of work. But uh, I think I'm going to at least scan these metal dice because uh, you know. For uh, for recent Frankie, even though I'm sure you guys listen to this podcast every week with the utmost uh, attention, um, for next level you, if you were gonna still gonna make us roll casino dice, please, please for the love of God, give us an actual casino like carpet to roll them on. Um, it's a, I I know John probably agrees with me on that one, but like they do not roll well. I know they're great for camera effect because they're large and you can see the dice roll. Uh, and we're in Vegas, so it's even better. But like, I think what I think Johnny, were you there when I rolled like fifteen dice for four ups, like shrug save, and I made thirteen of those? Like, I don't think oh. at any point in my life I've ever rolled that okay. one except against Alex. Okay. Uh, but well, you're, you're <laughs> Jeremy, you know you you only got to watch those dice for your two games. I got to watch those dice for uh, what eight games. Yeah. Those those dice, for the most part, rolled exceptionally hot all weekend. And what you described about throwing the dice and them just kind of sticking and landing, I saw that time and time again where somebody was lo throwing a low quantity of dice, one or two dice, and they hit and they bite into that fat mat and they, or excuse me, they don't bite into that fat mat. They hit that slick surface. They slide a little bit and it's not enough to flip the dice. And so time after time, those dice are landing with no roll. So yeah. I agree with you. I think that you need a dice tray. You need that felt surface and you need that harder surface underneath. So with those hard, sharp, square dice, hit that, bounce, catch the felt which has that nappy surface and it flips the dice at least once or twice i mean if we oh, yeah. we want to get into like dice physics and stuff like that that's a whole other show 
not the show we have. <laughs> That's like something I'd put on my YouTube channel right there with my analysis of uh, of Lego bricks and stuff are, like that. Are we starting a new show with you, John? The Wide World of Dice Gaming? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to say no on that one. <laughs> like, it's going to have two episodes where people are like, wow, that was fascinating. And then after that, it's going to be like, um, yeah, how round is a base? <laughs> the, uh, so... You know, for our audience, for concept, look forward to this new uh, spinoff episode. Uh, slightly uh, alternative look for the next week's episode when Alex gripes about. Okay, okay hold on. Uh, and then uh, going forward, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Alex. What's <laughs> your work bench? Well, um, there was a, a degree of saltiness that you were playing, at my bone boys. Um, however, we do have uh, drastic. Well, not drastically different lists, but. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is, is that so? He's playing something different than you? Because I was thinking that maybe Jeremy oh, no. would actually play your list, learn how to play it, and then teach you maybe how to win against to his uh, dwarves with that to list. To be fair, I've already I was actually that, anticipating a, a, a rematch <laughs> with that list um, and not not on a bad, arm, or a bad mission uh, instead. But um, yeah, so what's on my workbench? I actually don't have any AOS on my workbench. I actually have a bunch of 40k on my workbench. I am trying to fix a few broken bits to a Chaos Knight model so that I can send it on over to commissioning. And I built a wonky Necron list that you know I'm not too excited about because it's 40k. But um, and it's Necrons. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know it's something where it's like okay, it's built against. Space Marines and Knights and, and and Eldar Flyers. So possessed soup and, and all those nasty little chaos armies are probably going to walk over it. But like, I won't be as walked over with Mech Imperial. I don't know, man. I can't. I can't wait for you to play some games. You're like, well, so my Necron Warriors oh, have a yeah, discipline right? ability that lets them reroll saves. Dude, oh my <laughs> god. I was actually just listening to a um, uh, audio version of that Silent King story that came out last week. <clears throat> and it was just an expansion of uh, the Silent King's interaction with Dante from uh, the uh, Ball Book. The one with uh, the Mephrit dynasty in it. And yeah. the whole time I was like, oh man, he is yeah, right. definitely like, like they definitely based Catacross off Silent King hard. Like just the way he talks and the way he expresses himself and shit. Um, and he's got a retinue specifically too, like an inner sanctum of Triarch Praetorians too. So like not, not pretending like they, you know, it almost made me feel like um, for Blood Angels, like the, um, what's the, the dude, the master blood. No, 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 no. The um, sanguinary guard model that came out with uh, the uh, overhead axe uh, thrust. Um, the oh, Astarath. Like we all know that Astarath was supposed inflexible. to be a um, a remade Mephiston, and then at the last minute they were like, you know what? Actually, we're just going to make it a new model, and so that's why he looks so similar in armor type to Mephiston. Um, and I feel like almost like Catacross, they were like, oh, well, we're going to make like a silent king. And they're like, oh, you know what? Actually, we'll make a death army instead. Um, but I don't know. That's just my hot take. Uh, right now, I I'm basically just working on that. Uh, I probably could do build some more OBR because I am interested in coming back to some of the lists that I had uh, talked and, and, you know, tested out with you, Jeremy, that were not Catacross heavy. Um, I'm kind of leaning back into maybe considering a few of those. Um, you know, with like soul masons and stalkers, especially since, you know, stalkers, uh, I still think are fantastic. Um, but 
Uh, and they're actually going to be really good against other oh, OER yeah, yeah. players too, I think. Um, but outside of that, uh, yeah, nothing. Uh, I'm probably bringing my LVO list to the hammer because I just don't want to worry about putting anything else together for now. Um, I don't know how Riptide is going to be though. So it might make some changes in a couple or in a few more weeks beyond that. Um, it'll be interesting for us to have a match with uh, OBR versus OBR, but thankfully we will not be playing each other first round. So that's fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> nothing else. I am, I will say in terms of workbench, I am looking at my night haunt once more. I am, uh, I, like we talked about in previous episodes, I am definitely interested in using, utilizing the Dolores guard, the two units of the two plus units of hex wraiths as like a, battalion that gives auto battle line that paired up with uh the uh, shroud guard battalion as well and making a similar list to how i had before since technically my list that i had previously utilized technically is uh 20 points cheaper because of the reduction from lady o but uh i still wouldn't be able to have the maximum kind of list that i had previously so i would probably have to find something to remove and i'm not going to remove any of the heroes i really like lady o in the list and i think lady oleander is actually going to be really good against things like uh bone reapers specifically and also against like zinch armies i think that she's super helpful especially if you can get her up close um but i'm really leaning on either she if there was flax or removed from my old list from la- previous or from earlier in the 2019 season i'll either remove her and in order to fit all three hex wraith unit or, or um um yeah hex wraiths or just keep it to two and bring a chain rasp unit instead and maybe reduce uh my 10 man unit of revenants down to a five man who knows um there's a lot to sort out there, but uh, I'm definitely going to have to be testing some shit out with you for sure. Uh, but I'm ve- genuinely interested in making Night Haunt work again, because despite what people say about them being like a tier three or a tier four army, uh, I clearly did really well with them last season. And I kind of miss it. Like there's definitely games where I'm like, well, shit, like I need board control with these OBR and this like this mission sucks with what I have, and I can't just rely on Arkin to throw people up the board with, say, you know, a spell that that realm has, which lets me just like throw units up the board. So, you know, it's like what do? Um, but that's that's a long story short about my workbench. Just not sure about what I'm going to do in the start of the season, like you all said. And uh, 40k, ugh. Uh, but we're not here to talk about me complaining about 40k. That would be a whole other episode. Well, it's nice. Uh, it's nice, Alex, to hear you kind of going back to your your night haunt there. You know, it's as a literally the second best player in the world. Uh, I would hope that you would step it down a tier. Don't need to be wheeled in the most powerful army with your ultra skills there. Much like Jeremy, bring Sir, that I... uh, you know challenge army to the season. Leave the uh, leave guys like me that have to you know Sir, try too only, hard only and work on overpowered stuff to have a chance. <laughs> so the rest were night haunt. Well, it's because of when it came out. You only had so long. But that's not where a majority of my scores came from, is what I'm trying to say. I think, Alex, you should take a compliment and go of the fact that next year you're going to win number one ITC. No, no, no. Sons of uh, Batman. We heard it here, folks. We heard it here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's coming up. Oh, boy. 
Okay, so we have these FAQs. We have the errata for two books and, you know, the FAQ for one. Uh, let's start off with the simpler of the two factions between Caradon Overlords and Disciples of Zinch. Um, you know, apparently Games Workshop thought that Caradon Overlords was such a perfectly written book that it had no need for an FAQ whatsoever. Now, you uh, you uh, might all disagree there. You know, I certainly disagree. Our listeners probably disagree as well. But I'm just assuming that they kind of, you know, all patted each other's uh, backs in the office and went, good job, you guys. Nothing, nothing to see here. You know, uh, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Uh but because there, of course, isn't an FAQ, but there's this errata. Uh, taking a look at the errata, there are a couple of things that definitely stand uh, out Alex, to me. Alex, yeah, has an FAQ, not an errata. They have a designer commentary. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. commentary yeah. from the yeah. designer they, they, who wrote they that don't... shitty book. <laughs> yeah, so there's no errata. <laughs> there's there's no errata. The designer's commentary is their new language for FAQs. They have an FAQ, but no errata. Just, mm-hmm. just wanted to clean that up before you yeah. said they don't yeah, have the- FAQ one more time. <laughs> <laughs> now, the big one that comes out to me is there's the question that when a unit is a part of a garrison, how are ranges for abilities measured? And it does say that unless otherwise stated, all ranges that would normally be measured to and from the model are instead measured to and from the terrain feature or sky vessel in this instance that they're a part of. So if a friendly hero has uh, is the target of a missile weapon and uh, they're in it, the hero is in a garrison with a friendly unit of three or more models. They are still subject to that minus one to hit yep. uh, for the lookout, sir. So I think that that's great because I feel like I definitely would not have paid attention to that. Granted, I also probably wouldn't have been shooting at a hero inside of a ship anyways because I have such little shooting in most of my armies. But yeah. uh, that's at least it's my main just, takeaway. It's not just shooting, too, as we never. It's melee attacks, too. Yeah, I, I felt that, honestly, most of the... Uh, IFAC, I call these, the infrequently asked questions, because nobody was asking these questions, kind of boils down to, if you pay attention to the actual rules of this game, you don't actually have these questions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So many of them are just, like, some of them are just like, can I do this thing that in the rules it clearly says I can't do? And then they're like, no, you can't do that. I actually appreciate that one. I mean, as much as I hate that fact, like because the garrison rules, as uh, as rules is written, are refers to terrain features, and the sky vessels are not terrain features. So it was just kind of like trying to airtight and like that that rule set, which is perfectly fine. Like I don't think anybody misunderstood their intentions in that one, but this is just goes above and beyond of like, hey, I guess we just didn't really do enough proofreading when we printed that book. Um, and uh, I mean, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna favorite- jump into one more, Garrett, before we jump okay. into that one. Well, I just Which want to talk about the tightness. first one. Yeah, The first one is hilarious to me because I like how someone asked, personally looking at this, they asked actually a very specific question about Wildwoods and Overgrown. And then GW literally just copied and pasted the rule from the core rules. Like they didn't actually answer the <laughs> yeah. question. They're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. here's the copy paste from the rules. I'm not going to answer your specific question. I'm just going to throw in the general answer. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was amusing. The... Uh, in terms of air tightness in that in that fact that I will say I appreciate is the way they clarified how hitching uh, for the balloon uh, the balloon guys the engine ringers and the sky wardens work uh, if you they hitch on a ride on a ship and they were in combat when they did it the way it was worded in the war scroll made it sound like it was not a move a redeploy but it was kind of up in the air but if they could count as it could shoot or charge after they did it and they clarified that yes they can so it's just like it's once again like 
good job on like clarifications there because it, it was once again like the intentions seemed to be there but the rules is written was kind of like i don't feel comfortable making that that jump to conclusion um but it, this just for the sake of time talk about the the fact that this is the book that got a nerf out of its actually own faq and i think maybe this was an unintentional but i mean for god's sake games workshop think about like what you write like especially when it takes a month um they basically clarified that no, you cannot put units inside a boat at the same time as you deploy the boat because that was a mechanic from the previous book. And I think people just wanted to make sure, like, wait, did I miss something? Like, did you guys, like, can I still have, like, two drops for the price of one if I take a boat? No, they basically said you cannot put a unit inside the boat at the same time as you deploy a boat. Except the way they worded it means that if you have a battalion of boats that have troop capacity uh, or garrison rules... You cannot deploy units from the battalion inside the boat at the same time. So good job on the blanket ruling without actually thinking about the ramifications. Uh, nice try. Try again. Also, can you please, for the love of God, print a narrator? That's my podium uh, exit. Uh, go for it. Anybody else, please. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, I slightly want to disagree with John here. I actually don't think these are infrequently asked questions because when I was reading through these, these actually answered some of the things that I was thinking about and like people through discuss, discussing the book had come up. Like things like, um, if a sky vessel makes a run, retreat, or charge move while people are in garrison, do they count as running, retreat, or uh, charging? Yeah. And like I said, wow. I, like when I first read the rules, I was like, wait, garrisons can't move. So they don't have any of these rules around like, what happens if the garrison runs? Do the guys inside count as running? And they said no. So that was actually like a frequently asked question that came up between me and my gaming groups. Um and then, like for example, if it retreats, do they count as retreating? No. And I think that's so. A lot of people think this is like a nerf, but I think there's actually a couple of clarifications in here that you can take advantage of, is particularly with the retreat rules and the boats, as uh, Jeremy mentioned. Um, and like, uh, if I use fly high, does it count as a retreat move? That was not exactly clear in the in the book, in my opinion, because it's like they had the things about disengaging and fly high wrapped into the same rule, and disengaging allowed you to uh, retreat, but they didn't make it clear if fly high got advantage of disengaged. So they just now made it clear: fly high isn't a disengage; it's not a retreat. You just get replaced. I like that. Um, so. I mean, and those are nice because they're certainly going to allow us to not have to argue with people that are <clears throat> stretching the rules and interpretation. Exactly. So. And I feel like this this uh, designer's commentary actually, as Jeremy said, did a good job of trying to – like, yes, these feel like very obvious questions, but I feel like they just end stretching of the rules. Like, it's like, nope, this is yeah. how it's supposed to be played. The only weird one is with the if a uh, sky vessel counts as running, retreating, or charging, uh, do the units inside. So if a sky vessel does charge into combat, what the hell do you do with the guys? Because like, do they get the pilot attack now because they're within three? I guess, but they don't count as having made a charge move. Yeah, like that's that's weird weird that you could be put in combat without having made a charge move. So there's just some weird interactions. I I think that's how you're supposed to play it, given that. But it's. Like, wow. I don't know. It, it, there's still well, some weird that's things. That's important for charge abilities. You have yeah. guys inside of the, if they have some ability they gain on the charge, they don't. it's clear they don't get that because they didn't charge. Yeah, exactly. The boat charged and they're just kind of standing on the boat ready to take some swings of opportunity. Yeah, I think that that's how, that, that's what I think it is because there's the one sub faction that does get plus one to wound on the charge with guys. Um, so they wouldn't get that. But it's just, it's, it's just kind of like, 
I feel like there's. I don't know, Garrett. I I just feel like if they just I don't know talk to the playtesting team, like some of these would be like kind of clarified. Yeah, like that's that that's like the thing about Ko is the boats. Yes, if you're gonna make the army about boat mechanic, how the hell did you screw up like or forget to clarify yeah. these things? Like it just seemed to me like they kind of like you know what would be cool to make the boats make work like garrisons. Great, let's make that, and then like not at all read the garrison rules and realize, holy God, we really need to clarify how this right. actually works. So I, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's yeah, this just is feels... this is more verbiage than the garrison rules themselves have. Yeah, which was garrisons. necessary because garrisons it, weren't meant to move and boats move. Well, <laughs> that's the thing is, is garrisons only applied to a, a very couple pieces of terrain. Right there's there's very little quote garrisons available in all of Age of Sigmar. I myself would have been more in fan a favor of them calling it something yeah. else, like I don't know, embarked. So when you're embarked on a vehicle, and then they could have created a whole I don't know. I'm thinking of a game that has like complete, well thought out rules for how units get in and out of <laughs> transport vehicles. Yeah, I don't know. There, there, there might be a game out there that Wait, that's a major mechanic John, that it's part John, of. In this game, <laughs> is this still a fantasy game, or is this like a different kind of thing going on? It's it's a kind of a fantasy. It's like a space, it's like a it's a space fantasy. future fantasy. That's what I would call it. Okay, yeah. so um, I, 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 I think this is a symptom, John, of the, the accelerated book cycle. I mean, we're in month one of a twelve year of the year after a twelve book release schedule, and we have two yep. books released in month <laughs> one of an already accelerated book schedule. So we're 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 it, we're not slowing down. Obviously, it's no. we're just going full steam ahead. So I think they were trying to not reinvent the wheel and like quicken their ability to write rules by just utilizing things that already exist without thinking about some of the things that might go wrong. Mm-hmm. So I agree yeah. with you, but I think I think they just they're just so rushed and it shows like every yeah it everything yeah, like, are shows. They, are they even like I, it's funny when I think of garrisons because garrisons are so misplayed and misused because there is the the realm of shadow that has garrison functions, but there's actually what two, three pieces of terrain that exist in all of Age of Sigmar that have the garrison rule. So I get the feeling that like playtesters and GW like were using garrison rules on a whole bunch of other stuff that really weren't supposed to have garrisons. Like otherwise it's just this obscure little thing that applies to like I said, like I think just like three pieces of terrain are I, have that quote garrison rule. I think it's a rule that they created because they knew people wanted to have buildings. Like people built their own terrain and they got houses. I mean, I, I think Warhammer Fantasy used to have garrison rules them, itself. Yeah. So it's like they had people have built all these houses and they're like, why can't my guys with guns get inside the building? So Gina was like, fine, here's some garrison rules. Go have fun. And they didn't because no, but but they can't. Yeah, that, that's my point. Is if you built some houses on the table, they don't have the garrison rule. Oh, for, for narrative garrison you know. and it, yeah unless you do a, a house ruling yeah, right and, and so this is where i think they've been doing it is is they're not playing real garrison rules they've been house ruling yeah, all kinds of exactly because it, it was it was written with this like oh all these narrative and open play guys we need to make sure that the rules they've been playing with are still valid so let's give them the garrison rule but we don't use it a lot because it's kind of awkward but here you guys go here's the basics of garrison use that to build your house rules go have fun and that's fine. And that was great. But then they bring it into an actual mechanic and all of a sudden it's like, crap, maybe we should have fleshed yeah. this out a little more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, 
I was going to say, and we'll talk about this, but I just want Games Workshop to apologize for this book. Um, <laughs> mostly because you can tell it's lower quality and this is not the level you would expect the company to print. And I don't, I say that very non-sarcastically. Uh, I think we've had great books in the rushed uh, time schedule. Some, you know, worse than others, but like, I think the vast majorities have been really good and fleshed out. Um, this one though, it just reams, screams of like, we got an intern on this summer project and uh, we gave him this army to write rules for and uh, that's what we got. And we just went to the printers. Like there was like the fact that they had to think about making garrison rules for the boats, which is cool. Like let's just use synergistic rules instead of the rule set. Let's minimize complex individuals from the book, but then modify how they actually work in some weird circumstances. Like, Boats are units and boats don't count for scoring, which, by the way, a unit in a garrison does count for scoring an objective. Secondly, when the boat dies, they don't they use a separate disembarking rule from than the actual garrison rule for disembarking. But if the if they disembark from the boat, it works just like a garrison. It's like who the hell wrote this? Like, can't you just make up your mind about like what you want this to function like? And obviously, now after the 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 the, the, the designer commentary. It doesn't function anything like a garrison anymore. It's just, it's, it's. I don't know. I, for 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 me overall, I just think like like I said. No, f I'm sure the rules writers can be like, oh, I'm not an intern. I'm a paid salary man. But I, I'm sorry, but like that quality of work was intern level. Yeah. And uh, try or again. Done, or done by committee. This stuff stinks yeah. of committee. Yeah, I think you're right. It was too many vo too now, many cooks in that kitchen. Yeah, it feels like a too many cooks in the kitchen more than uh um intern this this just feels like a lot of ideas and everyone's like put it all on the poster board and they're like it all goes well, you know, in we, we talk about apologies <laughs> and we talk about games workshop saying sorry i will say they did not say that about ko but they did say that elsewhere now i want to read a paragraph from the designer's note for the official errata for disciples of zinch that also came out today as well and we do record a few days before release for all of our wonderful listeners that may not have known that now the de the designer's note is for destiny destiny nice and change host so we're going to make a hard pivot here to zinch right now um and they did say oh yeah while the intention of unmodified di uh, destiny dice was to control unruly casting roles and other exploits that are identified during testing an attempt to keep the destiny's dice mechanic as straightforward and interpretation free as possible we unfortunately did not foresee the consequences this change would have on the battleshock say uh, and save roles especially with regards to units like pink horrors which can tie up enemy units in frustrating ways let's say that uh this has also contributed <laughs> to the change host becoming an incredibly powerful war scroll battalion in very short order however with the help of our dedicated and passionate community we have adjusted both how destiny dice and change host work to achieve their original intent the age of sigmar team deeply thanks each and every one of you for your feedback and we look forward to continuing to develop our beloved game with all of you together now first of all first of all like the oscar goes to games workshop design team but um <laughs> i love the fact that they had to address it like this i mean there were rumors all of us went to lvo right so all of us knew nothing about what was going on at cancon or that ukgt that happened the same weekend as lvo but i had heard rumors that games workshop team like a team officials like 
like rules writers were walking up to tables and walking up to players and going like, so how do you think we need to change Zinch? Because like there was such an uproar in these tournaments about Zinch that they like literally had to get out there into the crowd and be like, what do you think we should do? Holy crap. Are you serious? That would be the most amazing community interaction ever. Can you imagine being top table at the GT and all of a sudden some Z- some rules writers from GW come in? Hey, mate, mind if we interrupt the game and, and ask you top players what you think about what's going on here? I love your British <laughs> Oh, accent. my gosh. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's as bad as it gets. <laughs> so, J- Jeremy, I-, I have a question. So I read this. I read the same note. So you, as a as a gimmick chaser and someone who can find um, unintended exploits with unruly casting rules, if you had mod, if Destiny dice could be modified, what exploits are there? Like I- I'm not really seeing. In my opinion, I don't think making Destiny. I feel like making Destiny dice unmodified well, was a bigger Garrett, mistake than just quick. letting it Garrett, be modified. Garrett, I want Jeremy to answer the question, but we need to know what you're talking about. Right, we we need to. Well, it says while the intention of unmodified destiny dice was to control unruly casting rules and other exploits that were identified during testing, I'm curious what um un, unruly casting rules and other exploits you could get from modified so, destiny dice. Like, what could you do that would be super crazy? That like nothing. Yeah, there, that, there's literally there's literally nothing. Exactly. But it it, it comes. It comes back from the Gracier treatment they did uh, for uh, Skaven. I think Games Workshop as a whole, when they give broad dice um, adjustments to spells, have chosen to adopt the unmodified strategy. Yeah. Right? The, Gracie, the Gracier mechanic works that way too, so you cannot modify the dice roll on the three dice. Like, yeah, like, so you don't get the plus one to cast off of it kind of stuff. Or another place <laughs> that it might come into play, like to use a Destiny dice. I don't know. Uh, to replace both dice, let's say a one and a six, and then if I'm running a what is it, a Lord of Change, where I can flip one of the dice then to a six. Yeah, but so, if I can't modify it, so it prevents me from doing that. But see, that's what I'm saying is same- I feel like the Lord of Change sure. ability to flip your lowest to your highest is the only rule that you would have to have an exception for. That's it. You just say you have for casting rules and charge rules, you have to use two dice. That makes sense. And then just say like whatever two dice you use. That's the role you use, and the Lord of Change can't ability can't affect it. Otherwise, go crazy with your modifiers. Oh, the other thing is you can't force rerolls. Like whatever your destiny dice is, don't make them force the reroll because yeah. that'd be stupid. But, but like, but yeah. if you get plus Let's one, minus the- one, like why not just let the roll be modified with destiny dice? Because if you're at like plus three to casting, oh, then you have to use lower dice to succeed. Who cares? But the de- like, so, like once again, the design team addressed it from the perspective as to why they did that in the rule. But the reason why it was put in the fact had nothing to do about the casting mechanic. It had to do with the save and battle shock. But my point is, is that if you never made it unmodified in the first place, then save and battle shock would never be a problem. Like, why make Destiny Dice unmodified in the first place? Uh, also, so that you can't. I mean, I'm thinking of more like Corn's uh, prayers that give you a minus to casting. So now it's immune to that kind of stuff. Too. Yeah, but well, that's what I'm saying is why make it immune to that stuff? Like just make it modify it. Just they, like I don't, they, I'm trying to like figure I out what ex, what what the exploits. Team has decided that dice mechanics that modify dice results for spells are unmodifiable, unmodifiable because they want it's it's a less punishing experience if you have to expense 
uh, a resource to get something, and then like you still get punished for it. I, I dude, I, I'm not going to defend their team, on I, this but one. they're using like, the I just, word. I think that was they're using. You're, you're trying to just explain the logic. Yeah, but I, yeah. my point is, is that they said in testing they found exploits. I'm trying to figure oh, out what exploits yeah, there are. For casting, I, I can't think of a single one. No, to be outside honest, of casting, to be what exploits oh, can you get oh, with my outside of casting? Oh yeah, you can get plenty on outside of like casting. What, with Destiny the, Dice, what boys, can you boys, exploit boys, if you were able to have a modified boys. role? Well, it's like if I have a block of forty Marauders and I lose thirty nine of them, and I just use a Destiny Dice to make it immune to Battle Shock, it's pretty good. Uh, but if it's a modified Destiny Dice, if it is modified, then you can't do that. Well, not. But now it is, but it, but it wasn't before, right? But my, saying like they- my point is, why did they make it unmodified in the first place? I don't think they ever should have made it unmodified in the first place. Oh, no, no, no. I think we're on the same. Okay. I think we're just arguing about the same stance here. Like, I just don't think this was good rules writing, period. Yeah. But hey, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm just curious from their mindset of like, they said that they found exploits if you had it as modified. What exploits are there? Yeah, I can't think of We're not here to answer their like, question, but we are here to talk a little bit about what they mean instead. So let's take a little bit of a closer look into this to <laughs> wrangle y'all in here. Um, can, can I call a joker? Can I call Joe Cryer? Like, can you can. come in the phone and tell us? Now, for the, for the Masters of Destiny, the final paragraph does – it has been changed to each Destiny dice uh, spent only allows you to replace a single dice roll. If you want 2d6, such as a casting roll or a charge roll, you must spend two Destiny dice. In addition, any dice rolls that have been uh, replaced, with the exception of save rolls for Battleship tests, count as unmodified rolls that cannot be re-rolled or modified further. So if you use a Destiny dice to replace a save roll, the result of the Destiny dice is modified – by the Ren characteristic of the attack is normal. And if you spend a Destiny dice to replace a Battleshock test, then the result of the Destiny dice is modified by the number of models slain from that unit as normal. So this is also further clarified in the um, in the uh, uh, designer's commentary when they talk about a 2d6 charge. And if you can use one dice, one Destiny dice to replace one of the dice for the charge roll, and they say no, which previously I believe you could have, um, I certainly, if that's not the case, then, you know, we were playing fast and loose with the rules at LVO, but I'm pretty sure that that's how you previously were able to do that with old yes, Destiny. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Previously, yeah. Okay. Because like, yeah. I think one, at one point, one of my opponents um, took one of like a, like a one or a two and was just like, you know what, we're going to make that a five instead. And I was like, ah, shit, you're in combat. Um, this is huge to me because yeah, one of the most frustrating mechanics was if you played against a change host player and like, I wasn't like, usually I think a lot of players are looking for like the sixes and stuff that they're like, Oh man, I don't want him to roll a bunch of sixes. I'm like, fuck, I don't want him to roll a bunch of ones. Cause I don't want all those goddamn horrors to come back with D six models. And now it's like, okay, well that's a very low chance that they're going to be able to do that now. Yeah. And you can use it now. Think about it. You can use it to get around. If you have a minus to hit on something, uh, if you have a minus to a charge range, like anytime you're you have a minus against you, you can use that destiny dice to get around the minus. Well, almost any time. So I think that's a pretty powerful. Oh yeah, aspect they're still them right incredibly now. useful. They're just not like a, as abusable as they could be. One thing I I noticed though, it was just I mean I guess I never realized that I I myself when rolling for battle shock never thought that the number of models killed was a modifier for the Battleshock roll. I just thought of Battleshock is this total that you put together. And so the fact that there were people out there 
arguing that no, I don't add the number of models killed to my battle shock roll because this is an unmodified dice is a, an interesting uh, interpretation that I, I I think is a stretch to even go down that road. Yeah, I'm with you I mean, there, John. Yeah, because now we have the fun yeah. thing where destiny dice ignore all modifiers except for battleshock tests so if you're giving them like the horror ghast or whatever it gives minuses yep. to bravery well that affects Ooh. that affects you now because these can be modified well before it couldn't but i was like so confused i'm like how are people being immune to battleshock outside of ones because if you lose 20 guys if you throw down a four four plus 20 is still 24 you lose 14 guys i'm not seeing it Wait, like i was i'm with john but it was quick. like uh how many points is a horror ghast 50 cool 60, you know what i do 60, i just 60. take my same lvo list i switch it from petrifex to myriad no myriad and then i uh replace the the geminids with the horror gas hey i'm gonna stop you right there until oh. all right let's move on let's well i'm also uh moving on then uh outside of getting the getting a little bit of the hate train just now um Oh, it wasn't uh, a hate train. Okay. It was a helpful train. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, we, we do have that change to the change host. Ha <laughs> Justice planned. Uh, the uh, deceive and dismay rule has been changed to at the start of your hero phase. The Lord of Change from your battalion, from your change host battalion, uh, that is your general and is still on the battlefield, can pick one other friendly unit from this battalion and remove it from the battlefield. When you do so, you can set the unit up anywhere on the battlefield more than nine inches from enemy units. The unit you set up in this manner cannot move in the following movement phase. Now, I still have the feel badsies from Chainsaws back in the day where I don't think they actually specified that you had to be outside of nine inches. So you could just like bring units back within combat or I, I forgot how that worked. I just remember getting my entire army tied up by Cryer's like uh, big ass unit of, of uh, br- uh, Brimstones. But um, yeah, this one is big because it's only one unit that's teleporting, right? Uh, kind of. It was because... Um... People were taking the flamers of Zinch, which got a massive upgrade in the new book, and then teleporting the exalted flamers so that way they benefit from the exalted mm. flamer at the same time buff, uh, or teleporting a chaff unit at the same time in front of the flamers. Uh, it was just, it was, I mean, it was just too much because they made flamers. The problem with Change Host, the way it was written, it wasn't because of Change Host, it's because of how they made flamers so much better. Like, uh, it, it, like, it wasn't really a problem with the Change Host you know thing it was just yeah flamers just got too good and they, um, it's not like they sucked before yeah it's just like you know going to 18 inch range d3 damage like minus one ren uh, if you're in the the specific host uh it's just like a lot of things were like uh problematic change hosts uh with that like i don't know it once again it's it's not the right fix but it is a, a good fix to the game also it will speed up the game if the opponent doesn't have to move two units every well, we were talking about that earlier today oh, so in some other chats that. jeremy like i put disciples of zinch and seraphon in the same kind of category where you can play three different types of players that play these armies you can play someone who is incredibly smart about their rules knows all their rules um and plays it very straight and narrow you play uh then on the opposite side of things you play someone who plays fast and loose with their rules because of how overly complex and complicated their rules are at least compared to other battle tomes and so unless you have a good idea and a good kind of grip on how their rules work there can be some extra stretches in certain directions with rules that can benefit the the player 
due to sheer ignorance of their from their opponent. Not in a bad way, but just because there's so many different rules to try to remember. And then there's a third type of player that's no, it's a bad you know, way. playing this army and doesn't have the acumen, let's call it, to play such a complicated army. And then they don't get past turn three, you know, or we sometimes even turn two. And it's just not an enjoyable experience for anyone. And so, you know, any way to try to make it a little bit more simplified, I'm fully welcome with, especially with an army such as this, such a such a hero phase heavy army. Wow. You know what I really heard there, Alex? I say I heard that there's three kinds of Zinch players. <clears throat> Ones who should play Zinch and are really nasty on the battlefield. Ones who think they can play Zinch, but really can't. And ones that probably just yes, shouldn't. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds like the Seraphim. I mean that in the fact that Seraphon players should probably play Zinch. For instead, now, no, they, they I'm have kidding. like you guys, a month have or a great, two. We'll have a great book. Yeah, I mean, Seraphon are demons anyways. Just add a little Zinch onto yeah. them, paint them blue. I call swear to God, Garrett. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're not painting blue already. Uh, I so the Jechangel's nerf was nice. I mean, it was. I don't know. I, I just don't think like it was super problematic. It just didn't address the problematic units. Like the thing is now, like Zinch players. Oh no, I have to buy a Soul Scream bridge now to do the effective same mechanic as I used to be doing. So, uh, oh, oh whoop de doo da. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I, I just don't really think that was an important nerf. The Destiny dice was the only one that really mattered in the terms of like the gameplay. Uh, also, Games Workshop stopped writing blanket rules about armies uh, in the allegiance mechanics. Uh, I think most people are going to be really, uh, unfortunately, uh, not going to have a good time when they run into the one host that like, oh, you can't retreat if you're in combat of any of my models. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but anyway. Hey, uh, just out of curiosity, I know this isn't really related to the the facts and stuff, but I was actually uh, looking over the uh, Zinch Battle Tome earlier today. Yeah. And I was in particular looking at the summoning mechanics. And yeah. boy, it sure seems like the point levels are pretty high. Is Are they really high or are we looking at uh, it's still a pretty powerful summoning mechanic for Zinch? Uh, well, I'll let Garrett go first on his opinion. Uh, on that, um, I, I don't know. I've like It feels like it's same as it was back in the previous book ish, as far as I could tell, I didn't see anything that screamed crazy good summoning. Um, so no, I, I'm thinking it's the opposite. Yeah, exactly. It like, it's like 30, 30 points to get a Lord of change to, on the table. That's 30 casting rules that need to succeed. Yeah. That seems a little excessive, but like, I'm not really crying because Zinch has so many other issues that the last thing we need them to be have is Slanesh. Yeah. Like summoning. Yeah. When they have, when um, you do the pink horrors is actually 50 wounds. The interesting thing I found in the summoning rule was how they fixed chain summoning by saying you only can summon one unit a turn. Yeah. So I, I yeah, think that's the, a direction in the uh, or going in the correct direction rules writing that I like. Well, that's what's missing missing from Slanesh. They need yeah. to be able to summon one a turn and then like so many other reset their uh, points when they do a summon. Or just go to one so, a turn and call it a day. It, it's, it's fairly easy for a Zinch army to create, have an army that casts 12 to 13 times a turn. Oh, uh, but it is, uh, I did not guaranteed auto cast just that they have enough ca like attempts to cast 13 to 14 times a turn. So Lord of change every two turns 
Well, depending on what your opponent casts like, because in the mirror match, it's almost like identical, like it's the first turn. It's not too bad. Uh, it's not the big stuff that worries me in summoning. It's just the ability to uh, summon like, you know, massive amount of infantry mid game, which they kind of got rid of because of the one summoning, no chain summoning mechanic, which is amazing and should have been applied to Slanesh in the last go around, but I I don't know really know what Games Workshop is thinking about. Uh, I did like that the fact clarified that Guild of Summoners cannot spend points to summon Kairos Fate Weaver or uh, the the Forge World uh, Lord of Change. Yeah. But to be honest, no one can, but right. it was clearly it's, for it's Guild really of Summoners. It's really funny but, that uh, there's that nice. still contention. Like I saw threads on, on some groups, some AOS groups, where there were people who were just like, well, the book says I can summon the Forge World guy for X amount of points. And people were like, well, the FAQ just came out and said that you can't. And it's like, but my book says I can still. And it's like, you want to hit them over the head with a goddamn book and be like, listen, bitch, like, doesn't work that way anymore. Um, but. Well, Z- Zinch attracts. So the Zinch players of AOS 1.0 were the guys who got into the game when like there were the the book was on its peak ascendancy right it sure. was it was pretty much the shit army for like eight months right it had all the toys none of the downsides and it was dominating the meta and, and a there lot were of those, not a lot of battle tomes out at the time too yep and that was like the people who got like on that battle tome were deeply loyal to that like army and they still are today. So they're still clamoring for that like power level that they had when. Uh, and Weaver's pouring a nice scotch is uh, my favorite person right now. I can hear the bottle. Oh, that uh, was me. No, oh, thank you, John. Uh, it, it's just they're still clinging to that power level. And and to be honest, like their book is awesome. Like I wish Ko and Slaves of Darkness got the same treatment as that book. And the one thing that I was hoping they would fact didn't get fact. Which was Dark Fire Rift and I had functions in the Zinch Army. So and uh, on the, I, I so for context for the audience, Dark Fire Rift is a slaves of darkness endless spells that generates a mortal wound for uh, D3 mortal wound plus a mortal wound for each like, wizard or endless spells within twelve inches of it. Uh, and it affects every model, every unit it flies over, as well as every uh, unit that it ends within one inch at the end of its movement. So in a Zinch Army. You're, you're like you're, you can easily like a 12 to 13 cast a turn army can easily get like you know f- at least an additional plus five to plus eight mortal wounds to easily uh to it so you know that thing is flying around just nuking things like now, he how character. does zinch how does zinch get to cast it oh uh because uh in their infinite greatness uh they give uh gaunt summoners their slaves of darkness keyword Oh, I see. Because because I, I the reason I ask is when I was building my Skaven list earlier, is that on the pull down menu, <clears throat> that endless spell was shown as available to Skaven. I was like, wait a second, is that real? I went and looked it up in the battle tome, and there's no way I can give it to my Skaven army. So it's just yeah. a mistake in War Scroll. Well, builder. to be fair, on the other John, hand, actually, any yeah. army can buy any endless spell. Like you could take a Wildfire Taurus in your army. Well, you can, but you could take like a Spice from High from Sylvaneth. You'll just never be able to cast it. So there's nothing stopping you from buying the endless spell. You just can't okay, cast fair. it. Okay, fair. 
that 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 might be some some meta psychology. I'll have to think about how that comes to an advantage. I'm I'm not well, entirely of, convinced on that. Yeah, you would definitely. <laughs> but trip one, me one, up. one thing though, since I did bring up War Scroll Builder, it's worth mentioning. Um, last week I was talking, or two weeks ago, about how all the Skaven players at the LVO had a legal list because they had the wrong equipment on the monks. If you go to War Scroll Builder Ooh. now, it's been fixed. Well, John, thank you for giving that feedback so that they could hear it and then fix that. So I'm going to give you credit for that one. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, speaking of endless spells, we do want to talk a little bit about another endless spell. And uh, with those endless spells and the dark rift and all that other fun stuff that we got going on with Zinch, and you know, since they, they are, of course, very spell happy, we do have the bur burning sigil of Zinch that we want to take just a little bit of a closer look at with a microscope today. Now, it is going to be uh, an endless spell and a disciples of Zinch endless spell at that, not a slaves of darkness one or anything in between. Um, it is going to be a casting value of five and only Zinch wizards can attempt to cast the spell uh, if it's set up within one inch of the uh, model and it's... Uh, or, if successfully cast, you do set it up uh, one burning sigil wholly within 18 of the caster. You are correct. Um, you know, with that, there's uh, going to be a lot of things that you can explore with the Radiant Transfiguration. Uh, wait, Transmorgification? Did I get that yes. right? Yep. No, you did not. Transmogrification. Uh, Transmogrification. Which, which you'll remember from Ghostbusters. Ah, word. Well, hey, John, uh, since I'm bad at pronouncing things, how about you continue on and tell us a little bit about the, what that central rule is for the spell? Oh, sure. So uh, basically what it is, is it's kind of like cracking uh, a zinch version of the Screaming Bell. You roll a dice and one of six possible effects happen. Uh, effect number one is kind of the one that I think you're going for. I don't know. That is a pick a unit within 12 inches. They suffer D3 mortal wounds. But most importantly, if you kill something, you get to add a zinch spawn to your army and set it up within three inches of the slain models unit. So you're instantly engaging them in combat with a spawn. So I think that's uh, that's kind of cool. Wait, hold on. You know how great that would be with the host that says that you can't retreat within a certain distance of their models? Oh my god. Dude, Brutal. you cast this, you take like a big old 40-man unit of Mortec Guard, and like that's what uh um from the caster, that is uh there's what a 32-inch threat zone. So you just yeah. cast it, throw it up forward, and be like, oh hey, now you can't retreat. Now you gotta kill this guy. Now, is this the type of thing that you can use a destiny dice on? I no from what for what no. moon value? No, they they have no. very specific things and this is not it doesn't it would it would have to specify use on radiant transmogrification and that's not one of them oh that's okay because i'd say if, if you could use a destiny dice that's where this would get super potent it's like whoops i got three ones in my destiny dice we're gonna pin some people down and catch them in a nuke yeah. except you'll use your ones for battleshock tests to make your pinks just generate d6 so you know there's not that fair <laughs> You know, it's it's like having a toolkit, Garrett. Sometimes you do this, sometimes you do that. You want to have all the tools uh, available when you want to win a game. Yeah. Well, t tell us a little bit about number two. 
Uh, sure. So we got our crippling appendages. Uh, you're going to pick one unit within 12 inches of this model and visible unit half the move characteristic until the start of your next hero phase. So movement cut in half. Let's drive on. If you roll a three or four, you got the mutative flux. You're going to pick one unit within 12 inches. Let's see. In fact, as I scroll through here, all of these effects are a 12 inch effect. Uh, so of the model and visible to it, that unit can move D6 even if it ran the same turn. So that's interesting. It's What's funny is it doesn't say a friendly unit, so assumedly you're going to use it on one of your own units, but you could, in fact, choose to put it on an enemy. Don't know why you would, but maybe you're helping them get the heck out of here. Finally, or next, we have spawning limbs. Limbs. We're going to pick one unit within 12 inches, as usual, and we're going to add one to the attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapon until the start of your next hero phase. Again, it doesn't specify friendly units. So it's. I find that interesting that most of these look like we could actually, like even the Chaos Spawn one, you could do it on your own units or you could do it on the enemy units. And then the last one, we have our Shifting Aura. <clears throat> we're going to pick one unit within 12 inches as usual. And now we're <laughs> going to subtract one from the hit rolls for attacks that target that unit until the start of your next hero phase. And again... It doesn't specify whether it's enemy or so uh, janky stuff is possible if you get creative here. So here's an interesting thing, John. So with the neutrality kind of aura of endless spells, endless spells kind of aren't owned by any particular player unless they're specified like with the uh, OBR ones. This says at the end of your movement phase, if the burning sigil of Zinch is on the battlefield, you must roll a dice. Do both players do that? Ooh, I didn't see anything in the designer's commentary yeah. about that. I, I, I don't know <laughs> if you own this when you cast it. So technically, at the end of the moon phase, both players have to roll on this table. And then it says you, you, you. So whichever player's turn it is, is picking the targets of these. But you do have to mm. roll. And I think both players have to roll with this. So this now, is a hilarious spell. One, one caveat to what you're saying is this is not declaring itself to be a predatory spell. But I don't believe any – it's not just end, predatory spells. I believe all endless spells aren't exactly owned by the caster. Like shackles affects whoever's nearby, not just That's the right. enemies. Uh, Interesting. And, and then certain ones like the corn ones have specificity on their rules that say does not affect corn. Yeah. Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. But they don't say don't affect <sighs> friendly. Like the corn ones, you, the corn rules specifically aren't endless spells. They're actually judgments of corn. So they have oh, rules sure. around that they only fly Ooh, in your hero phase. They're kind of owned yeah. by you. So uh, this, the re, this spell is, you know, the Zine's mantra. There is plans within plans of plans. <laughs> Um, just as plan. I mean, I, so, I was intentionally trying to make your Mortec guard have plus one attack. Um, so the key component here is mechanic, as Gareth, uh, Garrett has mentioned, is the mechanic of how it is rolled at the end of the movement phase. So what you'll notice for the most part is none of these penalties really affects your, really penalizes your unit except for a roll of a one if it's the only unit within 12. Uh, at the end of the movement phase because you're already moved, so half movement speed doesn't punish you. Um, the mutating flux, which is the one that gives you an extra D6-inch move, can actually be used for retreating out of combat. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's you retreat out of combat and charge again uh, because it is not it is not a normal move. Uh, so 
there's a lot of little gimmicky things you can do of it. Uh, and the fact that, yes, Garrett, as uh, mentioned, is that Games, uh, Games Workshop and Infinite Wisdom did not clarify who owns that spell when you roll. Uh, it's just kind of unfortunate because the wording, uh, your movement phase. So it only rolls for the person whose moon phase it is. So you don't roll, not both player would roll at the same time. They just would, each player would get to roll during their movement phase. Uh, so keep keep that in mind, Garrett, uh, as we process that. So your opponent could do the same exact trick to you with that spell, but it is like it is, you know, one of the most powerful uh, force multiplier in an army. Uh, it has a good, it has some utility in all cases. Uh, I mean, plus one attack to like a unit of enlightened is huge, especially oh, sure. if yeah. Especially if you get the turn where you get the agenda off, where they get an extra attack when they charge. Mm. Uh, so you're looking at a plus two attack on Enlighten. Uh, the minus one to hit OR can be like stacking on the Locus, which from the Siege mechanics is uh, demons uh, are minus one to hit a melee, so all of a sudden they're minus two to hit. Uh, the retreat and like I said, the retreat and charge mechanic. You know those Enlightens. Like if you roll that result in case you know later half the game, they can you know move out of combat and you know basically still like charge something above the sh- the wall or whatever like it, that spell is just good like and it's only 40 points and that and yes it can impact you can it can help your opponent as well but since you're trying to maximize its ability on the first like the turn you cast it like it's just none of the results are necessarily awful you could argue the extra movement is bad but also at the same time that extra movement doesn't penalize you for charging so if you just do a move about run and you get an extra d6 inch movement you're like you're also making it closer to charge and if you come from deep you know reserve mechanics that extra d6 movement since it is at the end of the movement phase you can resolve it after they come in so they could technically get closer to the enemy unit if you have some kind of like you know summoning mechanic like if you summon lords of change uh oh like oh my gosh so the spell is just highly functional uh i think it's overlooked by the fact that like <laughs> there's dark fire rift <laughs> but <laughs> uh i think it it gets it, it should see a lot more play uh unless games workshop decides to completely errata that thing to the ground uh as so is tradition of all zinch releases uh so say ye uh but uh yeah i don't know and and, and uh, like all these zinch spells a really cool looking endless spell exactly yeah i mean I, I love the little fire paint job that they gave these i want to try something like that yeah take taking a closer look at this i i think as jeremy said I think the way you use this is play it very defensively because all of the buffs that all the things that are debuffs, like, you know, do D three mortal wounds and you get a chaos spawn. Oh, well you get, someone gets hurt, whatever, and then have the movement you've already moved. Who cares? Um, So I think it's not bad to actually use this very defensively and try to use it as kind of a make sure only your units are within 12 inches of it so that when your opponent rolls and they roll like plus one attack, they have to pick one of your units to give plus one attack until the start of their next hero phase. So I I think this would be a very interesting one to use to like force your opponent to give you buffs by them having to roll on this. And so you get twice as many buffs kind of going, um, so. It, you can tell you can tell the guy who wrote that and the spell is like he's a guy who wrote the eightfold sigil one from the Slaves of darkness <laughs> book and he's just like okay well i'm gonna try my hand again at a spell <laughs> because the, the one really does not work and <laughs> so. uh, on your comment about uh, how this is overshadowed by the demon rift you know this does make the demon rift better so why not both 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just take both. <laughs> you heard that joke, Ryan. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Uh, there, you know, for a period of time, I even thought about putting that in a KO list with a spell in a bottle. Like, just reducing your opponent's like unit by half movement speed is nice. Uh, giving your boat an extra D6 movement isn't that terrible. Uh, or like just minus one to hit for your boat is pretty good. Now, getting plus one attack would be kind of hilarious on like, I don't know, uh, edge and riggers. Like, it's like even in a KO list, you could make that spell work. Yeah. So, like, there is just like, I don't know, it's just it has potential. I, I'm still all about throwing 20 Arcanaut Company and an Ironclad and throwing that Ironclad in combat with an Admiral and giving them all plus one to hit with repel borders because they're all in range. You don't have to worry about coherency anymore. The boat's in range. All 20 dudes are in range. Give the whole 20 plus one attack. There you go. Go to town. Well, there's a lot of things that we can do with that yeah. spell. And of course, <clears throat> spell in a bottle, KO, there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with that too. I was talking about the the demon rift uh, earlier today. And I think that yet again, Jeremy was like, no, it's bad. Shut up. So so I, so I shut up. But uh, <laughs> if you guys all think that there's a spell that you guys think might be utilized by KO best, or if you guys have any comments or thoughts on the uh, Demon Rift, or of course the Burning Sigil of Zinch, if there are anything, you know, any sort of av- avenues and angles that we failed to mention in this episode, do let us know in the comments, both on Podbean or on Facebook or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, good night, folks. We'll see you at the Rose City Wrath next month. Night. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.